Wonderful. Thanks, Nana, very much indeed for, for reading. If you've got your Bibles open, do keep them open there at Ecclesiastes uh, 2. Um, an amazing book. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. Just uh, let, let me tell you a little story. Apologies if you've, you've heard this before. Um, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson uh, go on a camping trip. And in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up and he shakes his friend awake and he says, Watson, look up at the sky, uh, tell me what you see. Uh, Watson replies, I see millions and millions of stars. And, and what does that tell you, Holmes asks. Well, Watson thinks that Sherlock Holmes is testing him. Uh, so he thinks for a minute and he replies, uh, astronomically, there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, Saturn is in Leo, a, a good sign for Aquarians. Chronologically, the time is approximately quarter past three. Meteorologically, the sky has a red hue, meaning that we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. Feeling quite pleased with himself, he turns to Holmes. He says, what does it tell you? Uh, Holmes is silent for a minute, and then he stares up at the stars and says, Watson, you fool, what it tells me is that someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> yes, uh, apologies if you heard that before. It, it's surprising how uh, easy it is to miss the main thing. In the midst of all the wonderful things in, in our world that we see and we experience and we enjoy, all these things around us, all these things that we cram into our lives, into our days and weeks, it is quite possible to miss the main point, the very reason we're here, the foundation of life itself. And in our brief series in the next four weeks, entitled A Life Worth Living, we want to look at some of those wonderful things that fill our lives, shape us and enrich us, things that get us out of bed in the morning and see what the Bible has to say about them because our lives are filled with lots of good things. And either they lead us to the one who gives these gifts and has designed us to enjoy them, but with him at the center, or they're likely to take us away from him and distract us and take his place at the center of our lives. And as we do this, as we look at these wonderful things that God has put into our lives, uh, uh, we're going to think about the claim of Jesus when he said, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. So let's pray. Let's ask as we come to, uh, to this subject, to this uh, uh, series, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy of the sunshine and the beauty and the being together. Thank you for all the good blessings you've poured out into our lives already today. We pray, Lord, that now you would open our hearts and minds to you, the living God, that your spirit would uh, correct, challenge, rebuke, encourage, build us up, speak into our lives as we seek to listen to you. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we've had lots of responses back from that uh, KT Life questionnaire. That, some of you will have filled that in last week or you've been, uh, I've been sifting them through, through them. It's not too late. There's lots of these little forms still. You can still use them to, for yourself or to, to, to use with your friends or neighbours to, to just ask some questions, maybe get a bit of a conversation going about life and, and about, even about Christ. But here's what, what makes life worth living for you. As I've sifted through them, um, one simply wrote people. 
Uh, most expanded a little beyond that. Uh, lots wrote family, at my kids smile, at my son and daughter. Oh, and my lovely wife with a smiley face. I think they might have been sitting next to him and they had to add that in. Uh, not far behind family was friends, friendship. Uh, quite a few included both. And I enjoyed one that said, what makes life worth living for you? And they put double F. I thought it was going to be family and friends. It said family and football. <laughs> and it wasn't my handwriting, but I would put that too. Uh, work appeared in quite a few of the responses to what makes life worth living. And then there was a whole host of other things. I so enjoyed reading through uh, all these different things. Pets, travel, playing games, food, nature, gardening, walking the dog on the common. Uh, holidays, doing puzzles, flowers, music, takeaways, ice cream, singing in my car, sleep, dumplings, Ariana Grande, dancing, baking, running, the seaside, my cats, video games, Lego, art, and of course, chocolate. Uh, what a list. I mean, that's just a few of them. I mean, I just so enjoyed reading through so many listed things that make life worth living. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be thinking about family uh, and about work and about friendship. But today, we're going to take some of that long list and look at the topic of pleasure, the activities, the experiences, the things that we bring into our lives to bring us pleasure or, or, or joy. And we're going to firstly look at this passage we had read from Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you've got it open, that would be great. It's on page 670. Uh, Ecclesiastes, if you don't know, um, are the words of an, of an old man looking back over his life. And uh, he's reflecting as on life under the sun. Uh, it could be King Solomon. He refers to himself as the teacher. And initially, it seems like King Solomon. Uh, we don't know whether that's a, 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 a technique for, for writing or not. But, but he was certainly, um, if you know this book, it's a book that in many ways is, a, is made for the 21st century. It is made for the, the skeptic, for the 21st century postmodern who has deconstructed everything, so there's, so there's really no meaning left, no absolutes left. And the repeated phrase in this book, 35 times it comes, is, is this, uh, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. The teacher surveys the world, he reflects on his life, on how he's worked hard and he's played hard and he's studied hard and he's accumulated wealth and he's had family and children, he's built houses and gardens and he's had everything, he's done everything, he's experienced everything, he's exhausted his bucket list, he's done it, he's done it all and as he looks back at, at his life under the sun or under heaven, he says it's all meaningless, purposeless, pointless. I mean, to be fair, it would be pretty depressing if Ecclesiastes was the only book that we had in the Bible. <laughs> or, or even in this book, it is clear that the teacher knows that there's more to life than just under the sun. That there is a God, that he has set eternity in the hearts of human beings. That we are made for more than just what this world offers. The thesis really of this book, as it's put into the whole Bible, is if you take God out of the equation, if God is removed from, 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 uh, from life, then all these other things, while they can be enjoyed for a moment, uh, in the end they're fleeting and will not ultimately satisfy the 
or offer genuine meaning to our lives that we all desire, that we're designed for. So as we look at these words in, in chapter 2, um, one of these things that the, the teacher tries out is, is pleasure in all sorts of different ways. Um, he's really honest. Uh, verse, verse 3, uh, he says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. You know, he had some drunken nights out with his mates. He's done silly things. He's ended up uh, with traffic cones and a street sign in his room and a nasty hangover the next morning. Uh, he's, he's, he's tried folly and, and wine. He, he he's uses his wealth to do stuff. Verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of f- fruit trees in them. You know, his, his property is featured on grand designs. You know, his gardens were open to the public to come and, and visit. Uh, he enjoyed walking through the orchards, picking fruit. He didn't do it all himself, uh, as we read on. He bought in labour. Uh, he, he tried agriculture and farming. I'm almost 100% sure he would have had a dog. Uh, he had everything that money could buy. Um, he, he, he had all the bling, the 200-foot yacht, the, the gold Rolls Royce, uh, all the silver and gold he wanted. He, he had all the entertainment. Singers, male and female. And of course, he had sexual pleasure. That was part of his quest. He had a harem of beautiful women. And then there was some celebrity thrown in. Uh, he had some recognition, fame. He's, a, he's clearly an influencer. Verse 9, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. See, the teacher has everything. His, his life would have made a perfect 21st century reality TV show. I mean, he's the Kardashians, isn't he, in, 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 uh, uh, in the days of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and, of course, this is what the advertisers are saying to us, aren't they? Every time we switch on the TV, every time we open a social media feed or whatever it is, alcohol, entertainment, uh, home improvements, financial investments, holiday cruises, sexual fulfillment, recognition, you need that. You deserve that. That is what will make life worth living. That's what makes uh, your life uh, joyful, pleasurable, uh, and worth living. So don't deny yourself. These are powerful messages that are shaping us and are shaping our children all the time. It's what we're hearing from the world. And the teacher is really honest, verse 10, uh, and this is again 21st century, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. This was the reward for all my toil. Did everything. He had everything. He took in everything. And when he got it all, This was his reflection, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Sobering stuff. So the question is, what what do we make of this? If the seeking after pleasure in activities and experiences and things in the end are meaningless, bound to disappoint, do we just ditch them and deny them altogether? Is that what the Bible is saying, that we we should just leave it all behind? Let's go into the desert, live in caves with hair shirts, just eat locusts, spend our lives in contemplation, get rid of all this stuff and things. I mean, that may have been what Simon Stylites chose, a Christian monk from Syria in the fourth century 
BC, uh, AD, who, who, who sat on the top of a pillar for 37 years. Uh, I don't know if he got piles, but anyway, uh, that's what he did. Uh, is that what we're supposed to do? We're also supposed to retreat, deny ourselves, get rid of all our material and spiritual stuff, stop seeking just... I mean, I don't think that is what the Bible teaches about God's creation, about the things of this world, about what God wants for our lives. I think we can say three things in the light of Ecclesiastes and the rest of Scripture about how we should approach life and approach pleasure and approach these things that, that bring us pleasure. I, you know, for me, I'm thinking football. Uh, for you, it might be fashion or food or films or, or flying off on holidays to the sun, whatever it is that particularly you, gets you up in the, in the morning. Uh, how are we to respond to these things that we have? Well, look, here's the, here's the first thing. These are not snappy little titles, I'm afraid. Uh, firstly, we're to receive and enjoy God's good gifts with thanksgiving. So give glory to God. You know, right at the beginning of the Bible, if you know your Bible, uh, we discover that creation is good. You know, on each day of creation, God sees what he's made and he says, that is good. Until the sixth day, when he creates the animal world and mankind in his own image. And what did he say? He says, this is very good. That his, this is his creation. We, we are given the privilege of enjoying a good world a world that God has made. We're given the privilege of stewarding it, cultivating it, developing it, enjoying it. That is human beings' privilege and responsibility. And in the Garden of Eden, do you remember, he gives to Adam and Eve the fruit of every tree, hundreds of trees in the, in the garden. He gives them every tree you can eat from, he says. How a generous God he, he is. He wants his people to enjoy living in his world. Except for one tree, just to remind them that he's God, it's his world, not theirs. That's an amazing, generous God. So, so God gives us a good world. He gives us human beings the, the, the joy and privilege of enjoying his world. Uh, we're not to be ascetics, not to wear a hair shirt or sit up a pole. Apart from maybe a few people who might want to do that sort of thing. But that generally almost certainly is not the, what God intends for his creation. And then when we look at Jesus... Of course, the perfect human being, the archetypal uh, example of humanity. Uh, what do we see? We see a man who enjoyed life. You read through the Gospels, you see Jesus was always going to parties, or at parties, or coming from parties. He was enjoying hanging out with people, eating well. He, he enjoyed and observed nature, and, and then used it to teach. Uh, Jesus loved life. His heart was always connected with, with the Father. Oh, he'd, he'd sometimes withdraw for prayer, but, but most of the time he was just enjoying life. Uh, he was certainly no ascetic. In fact, he was accused, wasn't he, of the, by the Pharisees of being a drunkard and a glutton because he spent time with, with those who uh, ate and drank and, 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 and had meals and so on. And his disciples didn't fast. So uh, you know, there have always been those within the Stoic traditions, within and outside the church, who who want to deny the goodness of material things. Often they've been uh, shaped by Plato, by that idea that material stuff is bad and spiritual stuff is, is good. That's not biblical. And Paul t warns, warns Timothy about uh, those who follow deceiving spirits. He says this, he says, uh, these people forbid people to marry, order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. 
So is pleasure wrong? <laughs> not at all. Is enjoyment of the things of this world wrong? No, not at all. But those things that we enjoy are to be received with thanksgiving, recognizing the giver of the gifts. So counting your blessings, taking them, not taking them for granted, the good things that we have, is so important, recognizing the giver of the gifts. Giving thanks regularly at the start and end of each day, such an important practice for every Christian. Uh, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks. You know, the very simple act of pausing and saying grace, saying a prayer of thanksgiving before a meal, it's just so fundamental to, to life, to Christian life, just reminding ourselves of the goodness of God that these things we enjoy are from him. If it's a family meal table, it models thankfulness to your children. Now, maybe not possible even to do that if you're in a mixed home where not everyone is Christian, uh, but you can still pause in your own heart and give thanks. I discovered in Lent one of the great joys of fasting was, was breaking the fast and, and offering real thanks in a, in a special way for the, for the gift of food. So here's principle number one. Uh, when it comes to pleasure, we're to receive, to enjoy God's good gifts with thanksgiving. Give him the glory. Uh, here's the second. We're to enjoy God's gifts, but not to turn good things into God things. Not to turn good things into God things, because that becomes idolatry. Uh, if Genesis 1 and 2 reminds us of God's good creation, that we, we have so many good things, he's a generous God who loves us to enjoy his world, when we get to Genesis 3, of course, we're reminded of mankind's propensity to snatch at the good gifts for ourselves and to push God out of the picture. God says, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden. Hundreds of them. Uh, pleasing to the eye, good for food. Just the one tree not to eat from. Because that's the one they can't take their eyes off. That's the one they're tempted by the serpent to, to distrust, to disbelieve God's word. Uh, and because that looks good for food and is pleasing to the eye, you know, it's shiny, it attracts them, it draws them in. Uh, and because it's desirable for gaining wisdom, they think, you know, have that, uh, that'll sort life out. I'll be able to discern good and evil. I'll be able to, to know everything. First Eve, then Adam, take and eat. And from that moment, everything goes wrong. There's an insatiable appetite for more. Uh, human beings exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. Uh, the history of humanity in the Bible, and beyond the Bible, of course, up to modern days, is a tendency towards idolatry, towards making created things and then worshipping them. Often making good things into God things. In Moses' day, it was a golden calf. Nothing wrong with a golden calf. Calves were, were wonderful, but, but they made it and they worshipped it. In the days of the kings of Israel, it was Asherah poles and Canaan deities. In our day, we worship at the online retailer or the football stadium or the nightclub or the, or the beach, pursuing pleasure in place of God as we take those things for granted, as we take them for ourselves. 
And as sin enters the world, as God is pushed to the margins, uh, these good things become God's things. They become more important than God himself. So, you know, our homes and our gardens, they are a blessing from God, but, but we know they can consume us. They can consume time and money and lead to pride if we're not careful. Good food and, and drink are, are such a blessing, but can easily lead to, to gluttony or to obsessional dieting and, and if, if we're not careful. You know, travel and holidays, they are a blessing from God that many in other parts of the world, of course, don't enjoy like, like we do. But, but, but holidays can become what we live for, especially if work is hard. You know, it's easy to find ourselves setting our hearts on these things instead of holding them loosely as gifts from God. So beware idolatry. Uh, I think it can sneak up on us, take hold of us pretty easily and pretty quickly. The New Testament talks more about worldliness than idolatry. You're being consumed by the things of the world rather than the things of God. These good things, they're supposed to point us to a generous God and we turn our hearts to him in thanksgiving, but they become ends in themselves and so they become what we live for. And so here's, here's the sort of tricky practical question, isn't it? You know, how much then is okay you know, to be enjoying God's gift? How much but not sliding into idolatry? Do you have that, that sort of question in your mind? You know, can I have an extension on my husband? And if so, how big can it be? You know, should I watch football and how many games am I allowed to watch? Says the person who's been to Wembley and to the Etihad in, in one week and watched a game midweek. Three games. Anyway, well, how, how many? Is that idolatry? Possibly. Uh, you know, how many holidays would constitute idolatry? What am I allowed to pay for a bottle of wine? How many episodes of the latest box set should I watch in one sitting? Uh, what is, when, does a, when does a good thing become a God thing? And, you know, in many ways, it would be so much easier, wouldn't it, to have a rule book? It would be so much easier. 15 square meters. One full game plus highlights. Three trips a year. 20 pounds. Three or four episodes, depending on how long they are. You know, if we had all the sort of specific rules, we could, we could tick the box and say, yeah, okay, it's not idolatry, it's just enjoyment. Uh, but you see, God is not a legalist. He is not a legalist. We spend most of our time trying to be legalists. Uh, he is not. He doesn't want us to be rule-keeping because he wants our hearts. He wants us to bow before him. He wants us to give us... Well, he does, he gives us Christian freedom in these areas. But in everything, we need to submit it to him. So it'll be different for each person here. But in all these good things, he, he, he wants us to ask him what he wants for us, especially in the big decisions. And we, we talk to other Christian people. That's why it's really good having Christian friends or being in a Christian small group in a, where, where you can talk about some of these ideas and think, well, what is right? What would be wrong? What, and, and it'll be different for, for different people. How can we enjoy these good things without them letting them become God things? So I say we should be a bit suspicious of ourselves. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. So we, we'll, I'm sure we'll be able to convince ourselves what it, that, that, that it's not idolatry. So, so let's be a bit suspicious. But... But we don't want to get ensnared. We don't want, you know, we, we want to hold out our ambitions. We want to hold our desires. We want to hold our possessions. We want to hold our bucket list in loose hands. Giving it to God, seeking after him above all else. And that's the, the third final principle as we 
draw towards a close. Uh, we are to find our greatest joy and eternal pleasure in God himself. So, above all things, pursue Jesus. Now, these are the words of, of Psalm De- uh, 16 of David, and, and, and Neil read the psalm at the beginning of this service today. Uh, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knows that it's only as he walks God's path will he fully discover true joy and pleasure that will last forever. And of course, it was, it was Jesus who held out true joy and satisfaction, thirst-quenching water, life-satisfying bread. It was Jesus uh, who said, and is making this sort of basic line for this series, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Life that is as it was intended to be lived. Life in relationship with God. Life in our design as a human being. And so if we want true joy, if we want pleasure that will last uh, forever, that will never disappoint ultimately, then it is Jesus who we must pursue. Uh, he's got to take center stage in our lives. We need to be spending time with him, listening to his word, keeping in step with his spirit, keeping close with his people, adopting his priorities, following his ways. As Jesus fills our hearts, well, all these other things will find their right place. We don't have to deny. Sometimes we will have to deny ourselves things. Jesus calls us to, to take up our cross, deny ourselves and, and follow him. So there will be some things that we will choose to deny ourselves, even if we longed for that or would have loved to have had that and seen other people who've got this. Uh, sometimes we'll have to choose to deny ourselves because we're going to follow Jesus. But it's as we pursue him, these other things will find their right place. And we'll be able to enjoy them with thanksgiving as gifts from God without allowing them to ensnare our hearts and become our idols. So friends, let's be careful not to miss the main thing. Let's not fill our lives with an abundance of possessions and adventures and experiences that somehow crowd Jesus out and take us away from him. But let's pursue Jesus and point others to him as the one who offers life in all its fullness. Uh, As Tim and just come up... um, before we, we sing together, we're just going to have a moment then of, to respond to God as we reflect on our own lives before him. Uh, what makes life worth living? You might have filled in some of those things. Uh, it, it may be a time for you now, just now as we have this moment of quiet, of thanksgiving, just to acknowledge again the good things that God has poured into your life and, and to acknowledge that and to, to thank him for them. It may be time for confession for repentance, you're aware that something in your life, one of these things has been take, becoming too big. It's beginning to take a God place rather than just a good place in your life. And maybe you need, you need to confess that and repent of that. Work out how you're going to deal with that. And maybe it's just a time for you to seek God over a plan, something that's in your mind that you're planning, asking him to, what is wise? And that Jesus would receive all the glory in your life, whatever it is. Just, Tim, just play for a, quietly for a moment or two. Chance for you to be praying. See, uh, leads in some quiet music and then 
and Jess will lead us 